Amen. Amen. Y'all go ahead and take a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to City Light. Hey, if you're new, please fill out the connect card that's on your seat or on your neighbor's seat. We'd love to get connected with you. A few things real quick before we jump in. One, the pop-up shop is Saturday. Yeah, all right. You guys excited to serve our community or is this just, you know, you know, okay, yes, we are excited. I'll give you a break. It's nine in the morning, so maybe you're... Maybe you're getting there. Uh, Saturday, please come serve. Join us this Saturday. It's going to be an awesome time. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people uh, will be here to hear the gospel and to get some physical items that they might need. It's a real great way to bless our community. Uh, It's going to be an awesome time together. This is your last week to donate things. As I said last week, don't bring your dirty underwear, please. Prioritize bringing good, solid really uh, nice items, all right? So clothes, furniture, kitchen utensils, there's a list online. Uh, Bring those this week so that we can bless our community on Saturday. And then Easter is the week after that, all right? So don't forget, it's a whole Easter weekend. You have a a card on on your chair. So Good Friday, we have a service. And then Saturday, we have an Easter egg outreach. We're actually doing it at Graham Road Elementary, so there's more space, more parking, a bigger grass field so that we can host more people and do a bigger egg hunt. And so we really want to reach our community and give everybody a chance to respond to Christ. And so this is your opportunity to take that card and to invite one person, all right? So especially for those of you who are part of this church or following Christ, listen, Easter is your best shot ever to get someone to come engage with the ministry of Jesus and to hear about what God has done. So uh, my encouragement to you, all right, like Steph Curry, shoot your shot, okay? And just keep shooting, all right, and see what the Lord might do. But my encouragement is to bring at least one more person with you, okay? So Easter egg outreach is going to be fun. We're inviting the entire city to come to this thing, all right? Uh, And so we're hoping to see the Lord work. So be here the next two Saturdays, all right? We already made your weekend plans for you, okay? So uh, you're welcome. We have scheduled it. It's ready to go, all right? So join us there. It's going to be an awesome time. Then obviously Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we're going to do exactly what we did last year. And every single one of y'all is going to park at Graham Road Elementary. And we're going to show, hey, yes, who's excited to park at Graham Road? Okay, praise the Lord, all right, all right? We're here to serve and not be served, okay? We're going to park at Graham Road Elementary. But because we love you, we're going to shuttle you over here, okay? So you can walk if you want, but we're going to have shuttles running every five seconds, all right? Just, all right, it's really going to be a lot. So everybody, okay, everybody, park at Graham Road. We're going to make space Uh, for people who are new to park here. If you're new this morning, we welcome you. We love you. I hope you hear what God has to say to you. So go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter three. All right. The title of the message this morning is What Angels Learn From You. I ran this title by my wife last night and she thought, what are you talking about? You know, she said, that sounds kind of heretical or something. And I said, I'm glad it hooked you. That's the whole point. All right. So uh, what angels learn from you? You think, what in the world are angels going to learn from me? Is that in the Bible? Well, here's what I want you to understand from that, that, that sentiment is there's something so amazing happening in the world right now. There's something so amazing, uh, particularly about what God is doing in and through your life. And it's happening through you right now. It's so amazing that it's even revealing and helping the angels come to greater knowledge of who God is. Something so significant is happening in the world and something so significant is happening in your life that even the angels are learning 
about God as God works in you. It's that significant. And I want to invite some of you maybe to participate that in the very first time to say, man, you are not engaged in the life of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you are missing out on the greatest reality in the universe, something even angels long to look into and learn more about. And you have completely missed it, and that is the missing piece of your life. And today's the day, hopefully, you begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. And for many of you, it's to lean in to the significance of the spiritual realities happening in and through you, that something so amazing is happening that even angels who have been with God for a very long time and who know an awful lot about God are still learning about God through what God is doing in you. It's that significant. And I want all of us to enjoy the significance of what God is doing in our lives. Ephesians chapter 3. So we're going to read verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So that's the first part. Paul is basically saying this is generally what God has revealed, and this is why you should listen to me about it. All right, now the next part is this, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. We'll stop there. And so I want to answer the question from the beginning. What are the angels learning from you? How are the angels progressing in knowledge? Look at verse 10. We just read it. It says, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are angels. The manifold wisdom of God is being, as the phrase says, made known to them. So they are learning something they didn't know before. And how is it being made known to them? What's the medium? What's the means of the communication? Through the church. So the angels are learning about the great wisdom of God through what God is doing in the church, which is not the building, but the people. So therefore, the angels are learning about God through what God is doing in you if you have put your faith in Christ. It's that significant. What, what God is doing in your life 
if you have put your faith in Christ and what God wants to do in your life, if you have yet to put your faith in Christ and he calls you to do that this morning, is so unbelievable and amazing and significant that the angels are leaning in, learning more every day about the greatness of God by watching what he is doing in you. It's that big of a deal. And God wants to invite many of you in on that for the very first time. So what are more details about this work that God is doing, the wisdom of God? Well, the passage here calls it the mystery, revealing the mystery of his work, which is called also the gospel. The gospel is the basic truth that you and I are separated from God because of our sin. This is a problem we cannot solve on our own. But because God loves you, a verse many of you may have heard even outside of church, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel, that God has sent Jesus, that Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, that we can be made right with God. Jesus is raised from the dead on the third day to give proof and evidence that he really is God. And then the the gospel message goes forth to all people. And it says, if you would believe and trust in Jesus, you could be made right with God. You could have peace with God. You could have forgiveness for your sin and you can have eternal life with God instead of eternal separation from God. This is the gospel that is being revealed. Particularly here, what's happening is these two groups that hated each other, Jews and Gentiles, are being joined together into one new man. And so the gospel is so significant and so powerful and so life-altering and transformative that it is creating bonds and unity and love between groups of people that did not have that prior. It is bringing all these things together and bringing all peoples together and cultures together and languages together and backgrounds together into one group and it's so powerful that it's greater than any of the things that may divide us. And so the problems that Jews had with Gentiles began to be less than in light of the greatness of the gospel. So God is saving souls. He is revealing the mystery he has planned for generations. So imagine, remember, the angels are not sovereign. The angels do not know everything. Only God does. The angels can't see the future. Only God can. So now they're watching this all play out. They're watching what God has been doing from Old Testament to New and how God created the world and how it all fell apart. And then they're watching God's infinite wisdom be played out in every detail of the universe that would eventually lead to the coming of Jesus Christ that would bring together everything that had been broken thousands of years before. And they're watching it play out in real time. It's like you and me when we watch a really good show or a movie, you know, and the twists and turns and something happens in season two, episode five, that gives light to what happened in season one, episode one. And you say, whoa, that's amazing. I can't believe it, you know. Uh, at the end of the book, you see, oh, you know, that makes sense. It makes, it makes everything make sense, you know. They're watching it and you're like, wow, and you're so into it, you know, and the twists and the turns and you're like, oh my goodness, this is, you're locked in, you know, what's happening. This is what, what the angels are doing. And they're learning as God reveals more things about how he works, they're saying, oh, that makes sense. They're saying, whoa, how did God work that out? I can't believe, the twists and turns are happening in front of us. It's just like that. And so when you think about what God is doing and unfolding his wisdom, progressively revealing his plan and the amazing ability of God to bring all things to pass according to what he wants to see happen. They're watching that unfold, and that includes, obviously, what God is doing in you and in me. 
And you are made, listen to me, to be a part of this reality. This is the essence and the core of your existence, that the reason why you long to be a part of something bigger than yourself, the reason why we love to participate in things that make us feel significant is because you are made with this reality that you are supposed to participate in the grand plan, the eternal plan, according to the wisdom of God. That's supposed to be the core of your life, that you are a character in the show that God is writing and he is allowing you to participate, you know? But many of us, you know, we're like the Truman Show. We don't know what's going on around us. We're a part of something, but we don't realize it. And this is what God wants to bring you in this morning. Some of you maybe for the first time through trusting in Christ and some of you to lock into this significant reality of how important and valuable your life is what, how significant it is what God's doing in your life. Because some of you right now, you don't feel like your life is very significant. You don't feel like your day-to-day life matters very much. You certainly, some of you don't feel like God is even noticing or taking care of you. Sometimes you feel overlooked or ignored by God or by others. You don't feel like you're a part of something big or awesome. You feel like you're just managing your day-to-day life. And the only reason for that is a lack of perspective. It's not that you hate your job and it's not that things aren't going well in your life. It's that you don't have eyes to see how God is working in and through you in such significant ways that if you noticed it and began to fix your eyes on it, you would feel significant. You would realize the greatness of what God is doing, even in the mundane things of your life. And you would begin to realize that your life has value, significance, and worth, and that God is doing something so amazing through every little boring detail of your life, that the angels are leaning in and learning more about God through it. It's that significant. Your life matters. Every day of your life counts and everything that you're doing is significant. So don't let the devil lie to you and say you are not significant. Your life doesn't matter. You're not a part of anything important or amazing. That is simply untrue. So to dive more into this, I want to give you two basic things about what is happening. So really, that's the setup and the essence of the passage, the core of what's happening, the greatness of the wisdom of God, the the amazing thing that we all get to participate in is really found here in verse 8. Paul calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. Basically, the idea that the knowledge of Christ and his ways is so rich, unsearchable, and inexhaustible that even angels are growing in their understanding of the wisdom of God because you can never get to the end of knowing Christ. And so he's constantly revealing himself even to them. And this is what heaven is like for all of time. The beauty and the wonder of Jesus will be unveiled progressively to us. The angels have not run out of information to learn about Jesus. They haven't maxed out his capacity to reveal more of himself to them and neither have we. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the gospel gives you access to the unsearchable riches of Christ. And the wisdom of God is in the progressive revelation of how wonderful and great Christ is and what the gospel does for us. So in light of that, two simple things for your life to dive deep into and to realize about what God is doing around you. Number one, the riches of Jesus are infinite. The riches of Jesus are infinite. So unsearchable here could mean something like inexhaustible. 
Like Jesus is so full, he cannot be drained of all his qualities and he can never be ultimately known with nothing more to experience. Learning and growing and enjoying Jesus is a search that never ends. It's something that is always open and available to us. This riches of Jesus here, it says, the unsearchable riches of Jesus. Another way you could say it is the riches of Jesus are infinite. Or another practical way you could say it is he is more than enough. And this is a reality I want us to dive more deeply into. I'm going to give you a thought, a little thought experiment behind this, all right? How many of you have a billion dollars? No? Okay. If, if somebody raise your hand, we're going to talk about tithing, okay? We need to, we need to talk more clear about, about what that role is. All right. So, no. Uh, suppose you had a billion dollars. I did a little research on this. You could, a billion dollars seems like a lot of money, like an inexhaustible amount of money. It certainly would seem like it to me. And it, in some senses, it can feel like it. A billion dollars is a lot of money. <clears throat> you could spend $5,000 a day for more than 500 years before you would run out of money. So if you had a billion dollars, you could spend $5,000 a day. And some of you who have teenagers already do that, you know? And you say, wow, that is really expensive. 500, 500 years, and you would never run out of money. Breaking it down even farther, it means you would have to spend over $100,000 every day for the next 25 years in order to spend a billion dollars. So if you spent $100,000 every day, you'd have to do that for 25 years before you ever got rid of a billion dollars. It says, if you were really dedicated, you could spend $20 per second, which my kids try to do. You could spend $20 per second, and it would take you 578 days, which is one year and 214 days to spend a billion dollars. If you spent $20 per second, $20, $20, okay? The article said, you're gonna need some caffeine, but if you can afford it, go for it. You know, like, it's almost impossible to do this. That seems like an inexhaustible amount of money, but when you, when you span out, actually, you can't even buy an NFL team for a billion dollars. We all know you can't buy Twitter for a billion dollars. It's gonna take 44 of those, you know? I don't even know what the math is on how long it would take to spend $44 billion. What seems like an inexhaustible amount of money is actually not even enough for some of the certain things that, that we normalize in life, like sports teams. What seems really great and inexhaustible actually eventually runs out. It actually isn't enough. No matter how much you gain, you still don't have enough. You could have a billion dollars, but still not have access to owning a sports team. You could have $10 billion, but still not be able to buy Twitter. You know, like it's, a, it's an infinite kind of search, no matter what you have. It's never enough. Think about this more practically in your life. The more you use something, the less you have of it. Okay, this is why you have to keep working because you need another paycheck. The more you use something, the less you have. The more money you use, the less money that you have. The more disc scrubbers you use, the less disc scrubber you have. You know, anybody has those magic erasers, you know, those are great, but they like disappear. They disintegrate after like two seconds. You use those things, they clean it up, but then they just go away. And the more you use it, the quicker it goes away. This is life, right? The more chalk you use, the more chalk that you need. It disintegrates, it goes away. Uh, the more you use your shirt and your jeans, my wife was just telling me yesterday, some of my shorts, they gotta go, okay? They're just, they're just hardly holding it together anymore. And I need to act more like a grown up and a full grown adult and have some respect for myself. So she said, hey, these shorts, they're just used too much. They got to go. 
this is understandable. Everything we use, the more you use of it, the less you have of it. No matter how great an amount of money is and would take to spend, it's actually never big enough. You could exhaust all the resources on earth. Everything you use, the more you use, the less you have. The only thing that this is not true of is Jesus Christ. Not so with Jesus Christ. This is what the passage is saying. He is a treasure that is inexhaustible. And if you gave him every second of your existence, you would not even come close to knowing all that he is. The more you use of Jesus, it's not the less you get, it's the more you get. He is the only thing in the universe that you can use just as much as you want and still have more than enough. He will never run out of his goodness towards you. Jesus will never run out of the capacity to bless you. Jesus never ends his grace towards you. Jesus doesn't have only a certain amount of love to give. Jesus will not run out of his ability to guide and lead your life. Jesus, it says, is an unsearchable treasure. He is inexhaustible. And the more you use of Jesus, the more you get. And the more time you spend looking at him, the more you're going to see. And this is the reality of heaven is that it takes an eternity to unfold an eternal God. And your soul is deeply made to engage with this reality that you are made to enjoy, to press in to the eternal goodness of Jesus Christ, which is why your focus on temporary things like money and personal relationships and status simply never does it for you because you were made to enjoy an inexhaustible treasure, but you are putting all of your affection in temporary things. And the disconnect in your life is that you were made for something eternal but you are prioritizing something temporal. And that's the main reason for your struggle, for your hopelessness, for your discouragement, for your stress, for your overwhelmedness, for your lack of happiness. You were made to enjoy every day a progressive growth in the knowledge of Christ. He is infinite. The more you use, the more you get. Yet, a, a, a too much, a predominant amount of your time is spent prioritizing things like money, which your use of it is important. God cares very much about how you think about and use your money. But you spend so much time prioritizing things that go away with use and not lend very little time prioritizing the one thing that increases with use that therefore you constantly feel like you never have enough. Life is always slipping away. I can never get where I really want to be. Why do you have that feeling inside of you that there's somewhere better to be, that there's some better situation to encounter when you have the full revelation of Jesus Christ with you now? The reason is because you put your hope in temporal things. And if your circumstance could just change, your internal disposition could change. And that's because you're connecting your internal happiness, satisfaction, and purpose to something temporal as opposed to connecting it to something eternal, which is always accessible and available to you. If you will spend your energy and focus pursuing and hunting the treasures of Jesus Christ, you will be on a constant adventure of wonder and awe and satisfaction in who Jesus is. 
A simple way to say this is that the riches of Christ are the true wealth of men. You want to be truly wealthy. You want to be truly rich. You want to be truly content, secure, and satisfied. Well, the riches of Christ are the true wealth of men. Another beautiful thing about this, because practically we know in life that usually precious things are rare. The reality of life is that if it's precious, it's because it's rare. The reason we like diamonds is because there's not very many of them. The reason you don't just pick up a rock off the ground and give it to your person to engage them, you know, you don't propose with a rock is because you can find a rock anywhere. The reason we love diamonds is because you can't find them just anywhere. You can't pick one up off the ground. It's just the rarity that makes it important. And therefore, we get used to this idea that if it's precious, it's rare. But now when you come to Jesus, the most precious thing in the universe, it's not rare. It's readily accessible to anyone anywhere. The most precious thing you could ever hold on to is always available to you. Always. You don't have to go on this mad search to find it. You don't have to make enough money to get it. You don't have to be nice or good enough. You don't have to go to church enough to receive it. This is the whole point of the gospel, that the most valuable possession cannot be earned by your hard work and cannot be bought with more money and cannot be secured with greater status and cannot be given by better networks and relationships. The most valuable possession cannot be sought out and found by your effort. It is given to you readily available through faith in Jesus Christ. The most valuable possession in the world is not rare, but it is accessible every day through faith in Jesus Christ. This is part of the meaning of unsearchable also. You can't work for it or earn it. There is some degree, obviously, in which we seek God, but to really know God, it has to be revealed to you that the greatest and truest treasure on the earth is nothing you can earn by your own effort and it is not given to you because you deserve it. And this is why some of you stumble because especially in DC culture where there's highly ambitious and driven people, we are prone to really believe that it's more precious if I worked hard to get it. And I would like some type of credit or participation I would at least like a participation trophy in this effort so that when I get something from God, I can feel like I had something to do with it. I worked for it. I searched it out. I earned it. And this constant pursuit of your life to put value in things because you earned them is the very thing that keeps you from enjoying the grace of Jesus. It's unsearchable in the sense where you can't just go search it out because you're not, you're not Indiana Jones looking for the grace of Jesus. And you have to do all these crazy awesome things to get there and go to church enough and serve the poor enough and give enough money away and be, you know, whatever. This is not how that works. Obviously, in one sense, it's sought for, you look for it, but like a beggar, not like a conqueror. And you have to take the disposition of a beggar, not a victor, to get the grace of Jesus Christ. It is not given to the smartest and to the bestest and to those who are most successful and more significant. No, 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 no. The grace of Jesus Christ is for all of us poor and lonely sinners and beggars. And your ambition and the fact that you value things you earn is the very thing keeping you from enjoying God's grace. 
because it is given to those who don't deserve it. This is why Paul says, I am the least of all men. Paul's whole theology is I go low and Jesus goes high. And the lower I go, the more I can enjoy the greatness of God. Because though he is so great and I am so small, he comes down to me and relates to me where I'm at. I don't climb some ladder of religious practice. And I don't climb some ladder of success. I do not earn the thing I get from God, but it is given to me by grace. So don't let your ambition keep you from enjoying God's grace, but turn it towards an ambition to know Christ more and enjoy his love and kindness to you in Jesus. So that's the first thing. The riches of Jesus are infinite and you are made to be constantly enjoying, pursuing, and progressively knowing who Jesus is. And almost all of the symptoms of your life can be turned back towards oftentimes pursuing anything else other than the knowledge of Christ. Okay, the second thing is this. The wisdom of God is infinite. The wisdom of God is infinite. So the riches of Jesus are infinite. There is more than enough of Jesus for me and for you, for us to enjoy forever. And the wisdom of God is infinite. The wisdom of God is revealed as he carries out his eternal plan in such a wise and all-powerful way that it even amazes the angels. What we're going to see at the end of time is that God will be proven, it will be proven to everyone without a doubt that God has done everything on earth with perfect wisdom. It will come a day when every soul will recognize that God has ordered things on the earth with perfect wisdom. So why the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a time when every single person recognizes, just like the angels now, the perfect and infinite wisdom of God. And that will lead some to their own destruction because they rebelled against the wisdom of God. And now they'll see it, but will not be able to receive it which I hope is not you. You need to put your faith in the wisdom of God and Christ today. Don't wait till it's too late. And there will be many of us who now see with perfect wisdom what God has done. This is like, for those of you who like sports, when a guy makes a trade and everybody says, boo, that trade stinks. And then, you know, two years later, they win the championship and everybody looks back and says, wow, look with what wisdom that guy led his team. This happens all the time. We'll make a trade. Boo, that trade stinks. They'll win later. They'll look back and say, wow, look with what wisdom he made that decision. Well, this is really what it looks like to follow Jesus is to know there are gonna come a day where we're gonna look back even on all the things that we misunderstood and even on our suffering and we're gonna look back on it and say, wow, look with what wisdom God navigated the contours of my life. It will be proven that even in my suffering, God was working with infinite wisdom to bring about my very best end. Now, if that's true for that day, the point now is to live with confidence in this day, knowing that if it will be proven that God has done all things with infinite wisdom on that day, then I can trust 
that God is working with infinite wisdom on this day in my life. This is very important for you because I want you to get confidence in what God is doing. When we grow in confidence of God's big plan, we can grow in confidence of our small part in that life. If the wisdom of God is working out everything for eternity, then don't you think we can trust the wisdom of God to work out everything in my temporal situation? If the angels are in awe at every twist and turn, at the revelation of God's wisdom to create a world and navigate the sinful realities of the world and bring to pass redemption through his son, Jesus Christ, in the way nobody expected through dying on a cross so that he could forgive us from our sins and offer new life. And that this would include bringing this grace to people all over the world so that one day before God, every tongue, there will be a, every tribe, every tongue will confess and will sing to him. If the, if the manifold wisdom of God from beginning to end is being progressively revealed in such a way that the angels are in awe, then ought we not take great confidence that if God is working all things together forever, then he is certainly working all things together for right now also. If God is wise enough to navigate the history of the world to bring to pass his perfect end, then isn't God wise enough to navigate the history of your life to bring to pass the perfect end? If God does not make a mistake in his plan for eternity, he will not and does not make a mistake in his plan for your life either. If God's wisdom is infinite, then it is trustworthy. This is why Paul says at the end of the passage, to not lose heart, even though I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I thought much about this because this is, this is, this seems to be the point. So do not lose heart. So when you see that language, Paul's taking all the things he said and he's shoving it into a practical point. All this theology about the manifold wisdom of God, all these big high thoughts about the greatness of God's plan, all this deep in-depth stuff about the mystery being revealed to Jews and Gentiles, all this amazing big high theology gets whittled down into one little thing, so do not lose heart, even in suffering, because it is connected to glory. What's the point? What's the point? If I can trust God to sort all things out through eternity, then I can certainly trust God to sort out my suffering now. And if all the sin in all the world is leading towards a place of happiness and perfect bliss because of what Jesus has done on the cross, if all the suffering and pain is being worked out towards this end and a big idea then is it not true also that all the suffering and pain of my life is also working out to some big idea of glory and the goodness of God? If that's the big picture of the world, is it not also true for the small picture of my life? Life is a matter of perspective. When I span out and I take hold and understand the wisdom of God and I realize how trustworthy God is, then I take the big reality of what God is doing. I believe it and I shove it into the suffering of my life. I shove it into the confusing places of my life. I shove it into the difficult places of my life. 
and by faith. Now, this is what it says right at the end here. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So it's the boldness and access that God gives us to navigate our life with him here on this earth through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me close with this final picture here. Yesterday I came to church to try to serve the Lord and I left with a flat tire, okay? So the devil is alive. So I, I came to church. That was actually the way I presented the gospel to the guy too. I said, you know, I came here to serve the Lord and now I have a flat tire. You know that was the devil, right? You know, and he thought that was, he didn't think that was too funny. So, um, and he, he, I came, so I left church. I was here and as soon as I tried to pull out, super flat tire, so, oh, you know, I was supposed to get home, all these different things, you know, have places to be, things to do. And now I'm stuck, you know, and I can't do anything. Well, I couldn't find the jack in my car, so that was a problem. I wanted to solve the situation myself, like any real man would, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So now I didn't think very highly of myself. I tried to find somebody that could help, but nobody had a jack in their car. I guess nobody changes their tires anymore. Um, it's like I learned to do this when I was 16, when I got a car, and then you realize how little I've actually used this knowledge in my actual life. Um, so then I called roadside assistance and said, hey, look, this is what you gotta do. So I called roadside assistance. I had to wait an hour. They ended up getting there. You know, they said they'd be there at 12. Then they said they'd be there at 1215. And then they got there at 1230, you know, so it's an exercise in patience. So the Lord's just working on me. His wisdom is making me more like Jesus in this moment. And the guy shows up. And he said, he looks at the car, he's like, oh, that's pretty bad, you know, I'm like, I know. And he starts to work on it, it's pretty easy, he's doing his thing, pulls the tire off, starts to look at it, and he notices a couple spots, and he's like, "Uh, you probably don't need to put the spare on, I could just plug the tire for you. And he said, that'll just be 25 bucks, and I said, oh, that sounds like an easier solution, so I can, it's a nice tire, it's a good tire, so I can keep using this tire, I don't have to use the spare and then go buy a new one. He said, yeah, I, you want, I'll just take a look at it and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure. So he does his little thing. He puts the air in it. He does the water and the, so, you know, all these things to reveal where the holes are. He finds where the holes are. He fixes them. Uh, he puts them back on my car, you know, and now I'm ready to go. And uh, at one point he, he, he said, you know, I could do this and it, it should work just fine. And you should be all right. And I said, hey, look, I'm not the expert here. I trust you to do what's best. That's all I said. I said, look, you, you are the one that came to fix the tire. I'm the dummy that couldn't fix the tire. So don't ask me what things to be done with the tire. You tell me what's best about the tire. Can I use it? Can I not? How does it get fixed? And then you do what you ought to do to get me back on the road again. I'm not the expert, but I trust you and your wisdom to help me out. And this should be our disposition every day in our life with God is to say, I am not the expert, but I trust your wisdom to do what's best to get me back on the road again. I trust your wisdom to plug the certain holes that need to be plugged. I trust your wisdom to say whether something is able to do it or work or not. I trust your wisdom. And often the fault that we have is we try to live our life like we are the experts and we consult God here and there as opposed to a daily disposition of I am not the expert here, but I trust your wisdom about how I should live my life. And ultimately the holes of our life are created by something called sin. And the only way to plug the hole of your life is with faith in Jesus Christ. 
The reason why you're stuck and unable to continue on in your life is because you simply are living with a flat tire and you have not yet consulted the wisdom of God to give you the answer for your problem, which is to trust in what Jesus Christ has done to plug the holes of sin in your life and to get you back on the road following God how you were made to follow him. The wisdom of God is infinite. And if every day you simply said to God, I am not the expert, but I trust you, then your days would ultimately go much better. And as you go about your day, not only should you trust the wisdom of God, but you should enjoy the riches of Jesus because he is more than enough for you. Let's pray and let's respond to the Lord now. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. We ask now that you would reveal more and more the riches of Jesus Christ to us. That even now in this moment, Lord, that we would grow in our understanding of how wonderful and kind you are. I pray that you would allow us to trust your wisdom today. I pray for those in the room that are brokenhearted or confused or struggling or upset. I pray, I pray that you would allow us to trust your wisdom today. I pray that in light of your eternal plan, you would give us strength to navigate our suffering. I pray that we would love you. I pray that we would see you as the valuable possession that you are. I pray that we would stop giving so much time and energy to pursuing things that have temporary use and that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and that you would fully convince us today that Jesus is more than enough. So would you take your word and would you root it deeply within our heart? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.